All right, take your study guides if you want to use those um, today. I hope we had enough to go around. And um, we're in Ezekiel, uh, part five of this uh, series on Ezekiel as we celebrate our third, bless you, birthday. I saw it coming. I was waiting. <laughs> Tyler. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we're going to celebrate this uh, third birthday by, by looking at, at Ezekiel where, this, where the storyline takes a turn. But as we think about this birthday of ours, um, man, it's been an amazing ride so far. I really do believe it's just the beginning. And we're going to look back on these first three years and think, oh, we thought we were big stuff then. And I think God's got way bigger plans um, for us, not just in terms of like the size of our congregation, but the, really the scope of our mission. I think we're just beginning to scratch the surface. And I don't really stand here celebrating numbers. The numbers tell a story. They don't really tell the whole story. Um, and uh, numbers are not really the most important thing to us. They are an indication of the most important thing, but they are not the most important thing. Y'all, if we grow to become the biggest church in this city, and if I get my own chopper one day to take me around, and if I get a bunch of Botox and sell a bunch of books at Barnes & Noble, and like all, this, all this stuff, you know, it will mean absolutely zero if we don't remain true to our mission. So I stand here today celebrating a community that has for three years at least stayed true to our mission to inspire non-religious Houstonians to follow Jesus, or at least to give Jesus a chance to convince them to live another way, to believe in something more. So we do all that other stuff, but we, we're not inspiring non-religious Houstonians to come and, and kick the tires of Christianity. We're, we're not achieving our mission. And so I'm celebrating the fact that for three years we've been able to stick to that. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder and harder as we become more of a, an official church to not be churchy. May we never become a churchy church. I never want us to become a place where everybody, amen, right? I don't want us to ever be that. And so whatever we can do to push against that, even if it makes our lives less convenient, um, you know, uh, or less orderly sometimes, less organized around here. Like, I want us to be as unchurchy as possible for as long as we can possibly be. I think um, th the major uh, distinction, if I could point to one word that really allows us to do that, it would be unassuming. We don't make assumptions about what people believe or your frame of mind when you come in this place. So we have a community every week where hardcore believers, like Bible-thumping, like, um, Christians, you know, sit side by side with some really skeptical atheists and agnostics pursuing truth together. And that's what we're about. And so we don't make assumptions. I don't stand up here making assumptions. I hope you don't sit out there, watch me up here thinking, wow, he really knows what he's talking about because I don't. Like, I'm sorry. Like, this is me honestly working through my stuff on a week-to-week -week basis. My faith is dynamic. It changes. It goes up and down. It gets challenged. It grows sometimes. It's a work in progress. You guys are like my therapists, and I'm up here just working through it all. But instead of me paying you, you guys pay me, and I really appreciate that. It's like the best kind of therapy arrangement. But truly, I, I never want to be seen, Gio also never wants to be seen as like, um, you know, the shepherds like, that, that care for the flocks or like coming down from the mountain with some secret knowledge of God. And you guys are going to have to trust us because he told us. We remember like, you know, that's not what we're here for. Like Jesus is our priest, right? You guys have a direct connection to Jesus you don't need me for. And so don't ever put me or Gio in that position. I talk to a lot of young pastors. I get to like mentor them and coach some young pastors. And that's the like most common mistake. They get into pastoring thinking, well, we're going to be shepherds and they're going to be our sheep. 
And that is the most common analogy for pastoral ministry. The word pastor itself comes from the Latin word shepherd. If you speak Spanish, you know that the word for shepherd in Spanish is pastor or pastor. Like that's the analogy we have set up. I, I just think whenever... Whenever some guy or some woman is a pastor or, I mean, a shepherd over the sheep, as if we're not even the same species, then nobody wins. Nobody wins. Pastors don't win because no pastor can live up to those expectations. Congregations don't win because you're never satisfied because no pastor can live up to your expectations. Of course, pastors would be awful shepherds because we're sheep. Sheep can't be shepherds. <laughs> Sheep aren't skilled in that way. Sheep are dumb. Even the best sheep would make an awful shepherd. You know, like... Sheep, and again and again, the Bible is telling us that's what we are. We're sheep. You're sheep, you're sheep, you're sheep. And in relation to God's wisdom and glory, sheep are especially dumb. And I know it's a little bit of a, like, what is he telling me? I'm telling you, you're a sheep. And you can take that or leave it. <laughs> but you've probably never seen a sheep doing crazy tricks at the circus. Because they don't. They can't. Sheep aren't good enough for the circus. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever seen that Olympic competition where the team of sheep pulls the sled through the snow? No, you haven't because sheep can't do that either. You ever watch cops when the, when the police sheep chase down the criminals? No, you haven't. Have you ever, have you ever heard that phrase, I'm, I'm working like a sheep? today, or I'm smart as a sheep, or he's strong as a sheep. No, you haven't, because a sheep, none of those things, sheep are good for very little other than growing wool and mutton busting, if you're in Texas. Well, other than that, like, I don't know what good sheep are, but the Bible keeps telling you, you're a sheep. You're a sheep in God's pasture, and pastors, and anyone, really, we make this mistake when we assume that we are the shepherds and others uh, around us are the sheep. Now, what, where it gets confusing is that biblically, some of y'all are like, wait, in the Bible, God calls some shepherds out. And he does. But there is almost always a very clear distinction that these shepherds do not own their sheep. That God calls some people out on a hired hand kind of a basis, a temporary basis, to steward his flock. So if anything, at best, the people God calls out to shepherd his sheep are just smarter than the rest of the sheep, you know, or like, or they just have a little more uh, organizational skills than the rest of the sheep. They can point the sheep to the right places. They're, they're not actual shepherds, but like in 2 Samuel 5, God calls David, and very clearly God says to David, you will shepherd whose people? My people. God says, they're my people. You can shepherd them for a while. You can rule them for a while, but don't forget, they're my people. But every single time they forgot. These shepherds that God called out for God. They got it at first, then it went to their heads. This power, this authority. Suddenly, these sheep that were God's, that, that, that belonged to God, that they were looking after for a time, became my sheep. And I'm the Lord here, and what I say goes. And uh, God gave me this authority, and you will do as I say. You know, and that kind of religious and political corruption, it um, really led to uh, misery 
a, a pattern of misery in the Old Testament times. So this is where we are in this Ezekiel series. I know it's been kind of grim lately. Ezekiel's not exactly a pick-me-up. I'm sorry. But today we turn a corner. But before we can turn that corner, God has to diagnose for the people what went wrong. How do we get to this place where our city's in ruins, where the temple's destroyed, where 30,000 Israelites are living as captives in exile in Babylon, including Ezekiel? What happened? You ever asked God or somebody, like, what, what happened? Why am I being forced to go through this difficult season? Why? We don't always know why. God's trying to diagnose this particular situation in Ezekiel 34. So you can open your Bibles or your study guides. Um, that you, these have the scriptures on them. Or your Bible apps. If you've got it on your phone, that's totally fine as well. Ezekiel 34, we'll start in verse 1. All right, so y'all hang with me here. This, we'll just read through this. The, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who can only take care, who only take care of yourselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds. You clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth. And no one searched or looked for them. So who are these shepherds that have been appointed for a time? I think they break down into three different categories, biblically speaking. Um, generally, we're talking about political shepherds or, or the kingdom, government shepherds, the kings and government rulers that God puts in positions of authority for a time to govern and, and rule fairly and, and look after the, 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 those who are struggling especially. Then there are the domestic shepherds, the domestic leaders, I'm sorry, the spiritual leaders like me, like, like these uh, priestly figures that, that, that should be humble about their calling, but too often that religion, that religious power went to their heads, and so they became like the gatekeepers. And whereas God put them in that place to bring more people closer to him, they're letting the sheep just wander off and not go in to look after them. And the same is true for domestic leaders, the heads of household. Um, this may be fathers or, you know, mothers or, or, you know, if you're in a roommate situation, if you're the roommate that does the dishes, like that might be you. Like you're the one that, that keeps life going around your apartment. You know, that's, uh, that's a sort of a modern day equivalent of the kind of shepherding that God might call us to. But in this particular situation, I think it's mostly the first two, the national leaders and the spiritual leaders, who have allowed God's sheep to wander. And in the Old and New Testament, I know y'all see God getting mad a lot. I wish I could give you a running tally, but just trust me when I tell you that the one thing in the Bible that upsets God most, more than anything else, more than any sin you could ever commit, what upsets God more than anything is when his sheep stray, when they are allowed to wander, or when they are scattered by the ones who should be bringing them in. This is why Jesus says, if anybody puts a stumbling block in the way of any of my children coming to me, it's better that a millstone be wrapped around his neck and thrown into the lake. Jesus, sweet, tender Jesus. He's often dudes in a lake because we're scattering his sheep. There is, there is a wrath, a rage that awaits within God's heart for those who are tasked with bringing God's sheep in who allow them 
or push them away. So uh, again and again, we see, this, uh, we see this coming up, this definition, this distinction between good shepherds and bad. So good shepherds sacrifice for the sheep. Good shepherds give themselves for the sheep. False shepherds, which Jesus in John chapter 10, Jesus calls false shepherds hired hands. Jesus says, hey guys, I'm the good shepherd. Not those priests, not those rulers. I'm the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's how you know a good shepherd from a bad one. A good one from a false one is that he'll lay down his life for his sheep because his sheep are his. While the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. They're not his sheep. He's looking after somebody else's sheep, so he's just making a dime. He doesn't care about their well-being. When he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. So this is what God's describing in Israel. This is why when Babylon's armies approached Jerusalem, you know, the, the shepherds of Israel didn't care. They didn't stand up. They ran because they were not good, true shepherds. It's kind of like, you know the difference when you're at a restaurant or an establishment? You know the difference when the owner's there as opposed to when he's not or she's not? Like you go to Whataburger. And when the owner's there, or the manager, you know, somebody with some skin in the game, like you, you get fresh vegetables on your burger and your, your fries are today, they were cooked today, you know, and like the bathrooms are clean. And, but you know when there's no owner on duty, you just know the difference between an, a, a hired hand and somebody who has an ownership in this. Just a, it's just a truism. It happens uh, all the time. God is saying uh, the same is true with uh, some of these corrupt leaders that are supposed to be leading people closer to him, um, and uh, instead they are cowards when it comes down to it. And so this is uh, what God says as a response to their cowardice in Ezekiel 34, 11, and 12. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. So what is God telling the people here? He's telling them it's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay now. After a long season of pain, loss, families being torn apart, Uncertainty and darkness, not real sure what the future looks like. It's telling them I'm coming to rescue you. You see, we don't always know the answer to the questions why. Why do bad things happen to me, God? Why have I been through this season of suffering, God? Why me? God. And there's all sorts of answers to that question, why do we suffer? I mean, there's a number of ways you could answer that. Sometimes I've suffered because other people do bad things to me. And sometimes I've suffered because I do bad things to me. Sometimes I've suffered because it just seems like the world is full of suffering. Sometimes I've suffered because God wants to teach me something. Like there's all sorts of reasons why we suffer. The only thing about suffering the Bible is 100% clear about is that God refuses to let his sheep twist in the wind forever. And before it's too late, before we're too far gone, before we've lost every semblance of who we've been, God shows up and he comes to the rescue. 
to claim us as his sheep again if we will have him. Can you imagine how good this news felt to the exiles living in Babylon for decades, wondering, doubting whether they would ever see their city, their homes, their families again. God says to Ezekiel, through Ezekiel, he says to the people, I've got this now. I'm the shepherd here. I've fired those hired hands who were corrupt and didn't do their job. I'm here, and you're okay. Let's go home. Has anyone ever done that for you? I mean, really, like, can you think of a season where, I know we don't want to be vulnerable, like we're trying to be self-sufficient here, but, like, I, don't cry or anything. Like, people are going to think you're hurting. But, like, <laughs> if you ever think of a season in your life when you didn't think you would get through it. And I don't mean necessarily suicidal thoughts or, you know, you didn't think you would survive it. I just mean you were convinced that the you that came out of this season wasn't going to be the you that went into it. Like it was different. Everything has changed now. No one's going to see me the same anymore. I'm going to be defined by this forever. Have you been through this? A divorce diagnosis, a dark time, maybe depression or a loss. You don't think you're going to come through it. And then somebody comes to the rescue. And I, we're talking about God in a spiritual way, but I, I'm talking about like somebody, flesh and blood, comes and knocks on your door. And they say, I'm here now. This place is a mess. I'm going to clean this up. You go lay down. I'm here. You can rest. You remember a time, a person that came to your rescue? I was thinking this week about a time uh, when that little girl who sang that song uh, a minute ago, uh, who's 10 now, when she was two, and much less sure of herself then than she is today. <laughs> like she's got, uh, she's got it all together. She's like a, her own person now. Back then she needed me is what I'm saying, and now she doesn't. Okay, she was two years old, and her mama was pregnant with her little brother, eight months pregnant. It was December. It was Christmas Eve week, pretty big week in the life of a pastor family, right? And so we had a high-risk pregnancy. Uh, Gio was uh, huge. I mean, uh, I don't say huge. She was beautiful is what I meant to say. <laughs> and she was um, uncomfortable. And she was taking care of a two-year-old. And we were getting ready for Christmas Eve and for our own family Christmas. And I was sick as a dog. Like, I was as sick as I've ever been. And women are like, it's probably a cold or something because men, right? But I'm just saying, I had like, had a legit fever, ladies. It was like triple digits. And I was hurting and I was moaning. I was miserable. Anything I ate just came right back out. It was just disgusting and awful, the worst I had ever felt. It was Christmas Eve week. I had to preach Christmas Eve service and all this stuff was coming. And Gio's waddling around, can help me? And, you know, and, and, and she didn't want to get sick because of her high-risk pregnancy. And so she's like, we're giving me soup. And then she's going to waddle around and chase the two-year-old and trying to keep everything together. We were just falling apart. I know it sounds like nothing now, but in that moment, it felt like death. Y'all know what I'm saying? And there was a knock at the door one morning. Gio waddles to the door. <laughs> and it was my mom. Mama lived eight hours away at the time, and this was in the morning. That told me that Mama had driven all night long. And she was not invited 
but she was not turned away. <laughs> we were not in that position <laughs> to be turning any help away. So mama came in and she said, go put your feet up, Giovanna. Go take a nap, Joel. Put some chicken soup on the stove for me in a matter of 24 hours. We were back, but she, she had to invade our space and we had to let her in. And she took over and she got us back to where we needed to be. She got it back on our feet again. Made me think um, even more about this past season we've been through as a congregation. It, this Tuesday, it'll be one month since Casey Smith died. A month has passed. And I'm sorry if you're brand new here, you don't know what I'm talking about. A really central part of our community here. A um, 39-year-old man when he was diagnosed with uh, leukemia after uh, many months uh, of battling uh, succumbed to uh, an infection. He beat the cancer, but another infection got him. It'll be a month this Tuesday. And like any, like, German, red-blooded American, I'd, I'd rather not think about the past. I'd rather just go straight ahead and not deal with the grief. But I've been thinking a lot about what we've been through together. I think we've, as a community, we got a little PTSD going on. And the closer that you were to the situation, a little PTSD happening. But I also look back and my heart is warmed when I think about all the ways that this community responded to the needs of Casey and his wife Dorian and their kids during their, during their season of darkness and doubt. So there were times when after the stem cell transplant, they needed their house completely scrubbed, completely disinfected with like bleach and stuff. And we had people lining up with gallons of bleach at their front door. Let me in. I'm ready to scrub. We had to turn people away. There were too many people who wanted to scrub some stranger's house. The laundry had to be all washed and folded somewhere else. You couldn't do it in the house. You had to wash it somewhere else and bring it back. Y'all lined up to wash some strangers, dirty underwear. Some of y'all don't even know this family. Like, you just like, you washed, you folded, you brought back, you prayed, you showed up at the hospital when Dory needed to go take a walk or she needed to go check in at work. Like, we had people lined up to sit with Casey as he was breathing his last breaths, surrounding this family in their deepest and darkest valley with assurance that they're not alone. Listen. Through Ezekiel and throughout the Bible, God says, hey, I'm like that. I'm like a mother who shows up unannounced when you don't think you're going to make it. I'm like a mother who barges in and says, put your feet up, go to bed, here's some soup. I'm like a mother who takes care. I'm like a community that looks after those who are most vulnerable, giving themselves away, sacrificing themselves, putting their lives on the line for someone else. The Bible says that's the kind of shepherd that God is. That God is like a, a group of guys who have perfectly good jobs and lives in Louisiana hearing about a flood in Houston. Quitting their jobs and coming to rescue people in their boats in Houston. The Bible says God is like that. Like a bunch of strangers showing up to muck houses for people who have lost it all. The Bible says that is what God is like. He shows up and says, I've got this. You're going to make it. After a time of trying to be the shepherd and trying to be the man, King David, who is seen as a hero of the Bible, he fell on his face. And he did some heinous, awful things, y'all. Things that heroes don't do, like murder and stuff. 
and, and we still think of David as a hero of faith, but he did some stuff that should have disqualified him. He tried to be the shepherd. He tried to be the one, but he fell and he failed again and again. And it was only after he fell and he failed that he was able to write psalms like this one that we know. But if you don't know the context, it may not hit you what David is saying. He is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I was the shepherd and I was awful at it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You guys, this is why it's so important to understand that you are a sheep and not a shepherd. Because what occurred to me this week is that all of us are trying to play the role of shepherd. We're all trying to be, you know, in charge, in control of our own destiny. We're trying to be our own man, our own woman. We're trying, especially those of us that are raising kids, we're trying to be the shepherds of our families. Listen, that works as long as times are good. As long as your sheep are, are walking by still waters and as long as everything is good. You're the hero. You're the provider. Look what a good shepherd I am. But then you find the valley, as you inevitably will. The chaos of darkness will surround you as it inevitably does. And then what will you do if not even you can see and the sheep you've been leading are looking to you, but you're blind? What will you do? Who will lead you then if you can't see which way to go if you've been the shepherd? This is why the Bible says again and again, you are a sheep. You are a sheep in God's pasture. And there will come a day when you won't know which way to go. And if everybody is looking up to you, your family, your coworkers or your employees or your spouse, or your friends, they're looking up to you for guidance and you are lost, then what? Don't be the shepherd, be a sheep. Let your kids see you weeping before the throne of God. Let your kids see you on your knees surrendering to your shepherd so that they will know when times get tough that they're, they're not just looking up to you as their only source of sustenance and strength. That when you fall apart, there's still a good shepherd that will show them the way out. Let your spouse see you surrender as a sheep in God's pasture. Let your coworkers know that it's not you who is leading this company, but it is your shepherd that is leading the way. Make sure you are a sheep and not the shepherd. So that when the storms come, when the darkness comes in and surrounds you, you will know. And it will be such a relief to you to know that it's not all up to you. It's not up to you. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know the way out. Guys, men in the room, listen to me. So important. We get wrapped up in our arrogance. We think we're the man. Listen, there will come a time when this world will break you. So surrender now. Don't wait till then till it's dark to surrender. Surrender now so you know the shepherd. So you, it won't all be up to you and you don't fall apart. You can follow him 
out of that dark place. The word of God calls us to be sheep in God's pasture. Humble yourself, y'all. Surrender. Know your place with him. He will never leave you alone, unguarded, unprotected, unprovided for. He will always be there to rescue you. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, thank you for your love. Truly, we don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. None of us do. It amazes and astounds even when we struggle, even when times are hard and we don't understand why we suffer. It still is amazing how you've never let us stay in that place of suffering and darkness for too long. Like a mother, you come and rescue your children. Like a shepherd, you come to save your sheep and you lay down your life for us. Truly, we are grateful. Our hearts are overwhelmed. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.